Now, the message I'm going to give to you today will, if you'll let it, if you'll assimilate it into your life and make it part of your own existence, this message will make your personal life better, and it'll also make our church better. If, you're, if you want that to happen, you'll care about it. And, then, uh, and I hope you'll hear this sermon with a yielded heart. And uh, so let's make a prayer together. Father, I pray that you would change our hearts and minds. Lord, we have new minds and new hearts through regeneration. But the old mind and the old heart are still there. You're trying to get us to do the things we should not do, to think, to think ways we should not think. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us your help. And I ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to make plain these truths to your people. And I pray, Lord, that the work will be done in my heart and in their heart equally. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter, this last bit of chapter 4, are the admonitions. These are the gentle pleadings or beseechings of a father. Now, I've got, I've got five kids, and at various times in their life, I've made these little pleadings with them. I've beseeched them to do or not do something. Now, we, we want them to do stuff, right? We want them to take out the trash, get up, you know, get busy, do their chores, that kind of stuff. We, and we beseech them. We, we plead with them to do things. But then there, there are things that we want our children not to do. Please, please don't drink while you're out. Go and have a good time with your friends. Enjoy yourself, but please don't drink. Please don't smoke pot. You know, please don't have sex while you're out. And you say, what are you talking about? These are the kind of things you have to say to your children. You've got to make sure they know very plainly about these things. You, you beseech them. Now you say, well... Your kids surely wouldn't have any problems with that kind of stuff. Well, I know who their dad is. If their dad was like their mom, I wouldn't worry at all. <laughs> but I know, they, I know they got bad blood <laughs> within them. And so we, we plead with them. Maybe we'll plead with them, you know, well, don't think that way. Don't feel that way because they have false feelings about themselves. We admonish them. This is what Paul is doing. He's admonishing these Thessalonian Christians In this section, now we're going to look at verses 3 through 11, and then next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll dive into this this glorious part, verses 13 to 18, about the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's look, first of all, at verses 3 to 8, and once again revisit this subject of sexual purity. Sexual purity. This is the will of God. Listen to verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that each of you abstain from sexual immorality... And that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger avenger in all these things. The NIV here says, the Lord will punish these behaviors. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. If you ever wondered, what is God's will for my life? One aspect of God's will for your life is sexual purity, sanctification. This idea of sanctification is being set apart. Some translations here will read holiness. God wants you to be holy. 
You say, why does Paul have to say this? Because the Bible teaches a thing called justification by faith. We are saved by grace. We're not saved by our performance. We're not saved by baptism or communion or by regular church attendance or by tithing or anything else. We are saved by the free and sovereign grace of Christ, which means we add nothing to it. Augustus Toplady in that great hymn said, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. All the merits that get you into heaven are the merits of Christ that have been imputed to you, have been credited to you, or given to you by faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved without works. doesn't mean that our faith doesn't have works to go along with it. But works play no role in your salvation. Now that's a truth. But also, we have to be aware that we are supposed to be a holy people. The way we live matters because the way we live reflects upon our Heavenly Father, reflects upon our family name. When I was a kid, when I was, would leave the house, my dad would say, remember who you are, what you are, and where you are. And, I, and the who I was was my dad's son, Terry Basham. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It's tough being a preacher's kid when you have the exact same name as your dad. In a small town where your dad preaches on the radio. <laughs> I'd be at work and somebody said, I hear you on the radio this morning. No, <laughs> that was my dad. So he'd say, remember who you are was his son, what you are. And that was, I, was, I claimed to be a Christian. Then he would say, and where you are. You're out there in the world. Now, my friends, all of us are God's children. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been born again, you are one of God's children. And God, your Father, wants you to live a certain way in this world. And he admonishes us through his word, this is how I want you to live. And one element of this is our sexual purity. Now, he uses a term here, control the body, not in the passion of lust. The old authorized version says, evil concupiscence. (laughs) Obviously, the passion of lust is easier to understand. We should not let our sexual appetites drive and govern us. This is a big deal. This is a besetting sin of mankind is our sexual appetites. Let me say this to you. Sex itself is not bad. But sexual immorality is bad. God has given to us sexual relationships. It's a blessing from God. It's a gift from God. It's a picture of our union with God through Christ. When these two persons become one in sexual union, there's nothing wrong with that. And we have to guard ourselves against becoming too prudish about it. When I was a kid growing up, the preachers would talk in code about sex. They would say, and he knew his wife in the husbandly manner. What does that mean? They would come together in that special blending of body body and soul. You're like, what does this mean exactly? And my dad, when I was a kid, at some point he realized that it was hard to understand. So he would say, he would just said sex. And I remember I was standing by him in the back, back of the church one day, and he was shaking hands with people. And this old lady, my Sunday school teacher, Helen Cauley, she stopped by. And she said, Pastor, I think if you say sex anymore, we're going to have to get a new pastor. Sometimes in the church, we'll be a little, we can be a little too prudish about these things. There's nothing wrong with sex. Now, I have a quote here from an area a pastor in this town. who This is something that's well said at his church, and I'm going to borrow it from him. I'll tell you who it is after church, all right? He says, 
that God, the devil, spends all his time trying to get you to have as much sex as possible before you get married. Then he spends the rest of his time trying to get you to have as little sex as possible after you're married. This God, God has given this to us. He wants us to enjoy it, but only within the bounds of matrimony, of a marriage, of a, in a marriage. And the Apostle Paul writes and says to these people, he cares about it very much, I want you to abstain from sexual immorality. He says, this is the will of God for you. Now, the Bible has lots of things to say about this kind of thing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 9. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, I want to pause here and just say this. This is, going to, this, is going to, this is a knock at people sometimes. But the authorized version here says it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And when I was a kid growing up, they were preachers would say, the only time you should ever touch the op- a girl is when you shake her hand. And I can remember I was at a church one time, and there was a lady walking across the parking lot. And it was kind of slippery out. I mean, there's two other guys. And... It's slippery, and this pastor was always harping on this. Don't touch women you're not married to. It's good for a man not to touch, period. So this lady's walking across the parking lot, and she eats it. And we're not going to touch her. <laughs> She's on the ground flopping around, and, you know, we had to go get some sisters to come help her up because, boy, howdy, we ain't touching her. <laughs> So a modern translation can be quite helpful here. (laughs) Help you sisters get off the ground when you fall on the ice. You know? It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each wife her own husband. And he goes through here and gives us a sexual ethic for marriage. This is good. This is good. If you turn to... Proverbs chapter 5, you'll read about conjugal marriage. When a man and wife come together in that special way, it talks about the delights there. Let's go there and read it, Proverbs chapter 5. If this doesn't do anything else for you, it'll at least perk you up. Proverbs chapter 5, listen to verse 15. Now, Proverbs, this is in poetical language, and I, I, I don't really want to take the time to explain the terms, but... Um, 15 to 23 are all about the sexual relationship. Drink water from your own cistern, your own wife, your own husband, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Should we be promiscuous with your sexual relationships? No. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly is led astray. I want you to turn the page. It's not on my notes. Turn the page to Proverbs chapter 7 and listen to this. Your sexual appetites, you have to 
marshal them or control them. One pastor in Florida says that our sex drives are when are the are they represent our most animal-like passions and desires. Now, there's a good number of, of the men here in the church and sisters too who deer hunt. And there's that time in the fall when the big buck deer, when they got the big horns, they get a little crazy, don't they? They get a little overactive, a little reckless. And what's that called? It's called the rut. And elk have them, deer have them, uh, moose have them. What's the plural, plural, plural of goose? <laughs> the plural. Anyway. But I want you to look at this description in Proverbs 7. Listen to verse 21. This is about this strange woman who's a seductress. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox to the slaughter or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its, its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, and he does not know that it will cost him his life. You see? You have to be careful with your sexual passions. You have to control them, Paul says. The old authorized version says to possess your vessel. Now, that's an interesting thing. If you have an NIV or ESV in the footnote, you'll see a marginal reading there that will say, or it means to know how to possess your own wife in an honorable way. Now, that, I think that's quite interesting. Now, I, no, no translation I could find puts that in the text, but it's there. Something to think about. This special relationship between the man and his wife. If you say, well, pastor, I think you just got a problem, I would point you to the Song of Solomon, which is an entire book of the Bible, all descriptive of the relationship of a man and his wife and the joy they have one for another in a sexual relationship. It's quite a thing to read. Now, I grew up in church, right? And so when I was a kid, there are a few Bibles floating around out there that have my name and with a life's verse from Song of Solomon. <laughs> because when I was a kid, you know, this, that we, your kids sit in church and they're just thumbing through the Bible, you know, they're bored. And you find, and you find the Song of Solomon, and you're like, oh, wow, look at all this racy stuff. And so back then, everybody had a life verse. You know, like, any, any of you guys got a life verse? If you sign your name and something, you got a life verse, you write down by it. I, I got, I've had a couple of them in my, in my life. And the first one I ever had was Song of Solomon 813, <laughs> which doesn't say anything racy. But just, this, just seeing those words, Song of Solomon, with some of my friends who go, <gasps> Anyway. It's a whole book of the Bible, God's sacred book, devoted to this subject. Now, God is not saying that sex is bad. Get that in your mind. But sexual immorality is very bad. It is very bad. Now, a church, especially a church that believes in, in grace, can develop the wrong attitude about sexual stuff. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses, verse 1. The church at Corinth, they were a church, now this is striking to me, as, with as many problems as the church at Corinth had, the Apostle Paul never de-Christianizes them or de-churches them. He never does. But he talks to them about their errors. 1 Corinthians 5, 1. This church had a bad 
attitude about us had the wrong attitude about, about sexual activity. It is reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. John Gill says here, John Gill's position is that this person who's committing this sin was actually the pastor of the church who was a gifted, notable speaker. He was so gifted and talented and such a blessing to them and through his teaching ministry that they would overlook his sins. You say, well, that could never happen. I have a friend, it can't. I have a friend of mine who pastors in Alabama and the church he pastored, the pastor before him, that church let him change wives twice. Divorced and remarried. And he was having an affair with those women. Just And that they had him. Then my friend went there and pastored for about 18 months. And then he resigned. And guess who they recalled? The guy who had done the dastardly deeds. A church. Now, Paul says to the Corinthian church, you guys are arrogant about this. You should be humble. You should be crying about this. This this should not make you happy that you guys believe in grace so much that you let all kinds of junk go on in the church. He says, no, you guys should be sad about this. You should mourn over the presence of this kind of sin. Because if this egregious sin is allowed in the church, then you know all kinds of little stuff has taken place. All kinds of lesser sins, you might say. So a church can get a bad attitude about this. Listen to the reading in verses 9 to 13. Paul says striking strong words to them. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you need to get out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality, greed, is an idolater or a viler, drunkard or a swindler. Reviler means with a really bad temper, you might say. Not even to eat with such an one. He says those who are Christians, who claim the name of Christ, don't run around with them. Of course, you guys know why that would be, don't you? Because bad company corrupts good manners. You learn bad habits. I was telling somebody this recently about... Proverbs, make no friendship with an angry man, lest thou get a snare to your soul. People learn how to respond. If you're a cool-headed cat and, you're, and people are around you, the people around you will learn how to be cool, how to not overreact. But if you are, uh, you know, always flying off the handle, people, people are going to see that they're going to copy you. You say, no, they won't. Well, once upon a time, I was at Grace Baptist Church in Hope, Arkansas, standing out in the parking lot, standing there with Mitchell. Mitchell was a little guy back then. And I was standing with my hands in my pockets, you know, and, 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 I, and don't, don't hold this against me, but I spit. I expectorate. Usually when I'm nervous. <laughs> you know, and I've learned all kinds of ways to do it. <laughs> And I was standing there outside the church talking to somebody, just a bunch of, usually, you know, I follow the rules of the old west, never spit in front of women, right? Unless it's Valerie. 
But we were standing outside the church talking, me and this other guy. And Valerie, she said, I watched something funny. He said, there you were. So you had hands in your pockets, standing this way. And Mitchell standing the same way you were. And all of a sudden, you went, and you spit. And then he spit. And then you spit, and he spit. <laughs> because we, we pick up on things from people. You've got to be careful who you associate with because those associations can corrupt you. You say, well, not me. I'm incorruptible. Well, you're a knucklehead is what you are. <laughs> Stuff rubs off on you. You don't realize it. Look, if your friends buy a new car or a new truck or a new boat, what do you start thinking about doing? Same thing. You get a new gun. I remember in Arkansas, there was a big, big hunting church in Arkansas. You guys remember those uh, when the short magnums came out, Weatherby short magnums, 7 millimeter short magnum, and there's uh, another 300 Winchester short magnum. Now, how many deer rifles does one man need in his lifetime? Nobody knows. <laughs> you only need one. They last for 125 years. You know, if you got a 30 you know, if you have a 30 6 they've been that's the exact same gun they used in World War I. And if you shoot a deer with it, it'll kill a deer just fine. When Valerie and I first got married, I tried to tell her that a gun only lasted about six months. But she said, I don't think so, buddy. Um, you know, and, and somebody bought one of those little short magnums, and you know, next thing you know, everybody in the church is buying one. Remember Matthew's solo cam compound bows, you know? As soon as those came out, one guy got one, everybody got one. When everybody went to overdraws on their bows, everybody went to overdraws. My dad, my dad, my dad didn't get suckered in that kind of stuff. We were still, you know, making our arrows by hand. <laughs> Chipping rocks. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> The people in your life affect you more than you know. They affect you more than, they, than you know. And we all have to be aware of that. Now, somebody may say here, well, what about same-sex attractions? Because we, we deal with this regularly. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a growing issue we have. The only place for sexual satisfaction is within a marriage. So what about persons who have same-sex attracted? Who are same-sex attracted? Well, the scripture is clear about this. All forms of homosexual practice are sinful. All forms of it are sinful. There's no way to have homosexual practice and it be sanctified or holy. It's impossible. Everything the Bible says about that subject says it's not, it's not allowed for Christians. It's bad. It cannot be done in a godly manner. And if you are curious about what the New Testament says about that, you know what the Old Testament says about it. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. Where the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the, sexual, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul says, Such were some of you, but now you've been washed, you've been cleansed. But he says, Look at, look at, look at the... Look at the company that that particular sin is keeping. Greed, murders, all, all the sins, right? So that's the category it is in. 
You say, well, what, what should a same-sex attracted person do? Now, here's what you got to do sometimes. Is you've got to separate all the emotions from it. And think about it as if it were a regular kind of sin. Because it is a regular kind of sin. It's a sin just like everything else is. So, let me ask you, what do you do with your sins? Have you ever been tempted to sin? Have you ever been tempted to sin? Sure you have. What do you do about those temptations? Well, sometimes you give in to them, don't you? Isn't that right? Sometimes you give in. Nobody wants to nod their head up and down, but we all know. Inside, in there, you're, <laughs> you're agreeing. So what should you do? With, the, with sinful temptations. Well, you don't do it. You don't do it. I've been a pastor my whole adult life, basically, and I've been tempted to punch out church members over and over again. I mean, I, I, I've met with people who have said all kinds of saucy things to me. One particular time, this guy said something to me. It was just he and I out in a barn in the middle of nowhere. There's nobody around. He was 107 years old. I knew I could have took him. <laughs> you know, you get tempted to do, to do things you shouldn't do, but you, you, you don't do them. You don't do them. And if you have a little bit of spiritual maturity that comes up, you start to say, Lord, forgive me for thinking about that. Forgive me for wanting to do that kind of stuff. Forgive me. It's the same kind of thing. It's the mortification of the flesh. We all have to do it. It's a sin like every other kind of sin. When you start putting a special tag on it, you're making it different than all the other sins and it's harder to deal with. But the Apostle Paul puts it right in the same little bag of sins as all these other ones. Let's look at them one more time the way you got it. Look at verse number 9. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor many who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's right in that, that same bunch of sins. It's the same thing. It's a sin. You just have to think about it that way. And if you're tempted with it, now, <laughs> there's all kinds of sins, aren't there? Have, how many of you guys would be tempted? I said this last Sunday. I should get new material. But... How many of you guys would be tempted to steal a fly rod out of the back of a truck? No, really. How many of you guys would be? Anybody? There's nobody raising their hand. You didn't do it. <laughs> I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to figure out who stole my fly rod because that was a long, long time ago. But uh, what am I trying to say here? Well, I think I'm just trying to say move on. We all have different sins we commit. We're all tempted with different things. We're all tempted with different stuff. You couldn't tempt me to steal a doily for all the tea in China. You guys remember when doilies were everywhere? Go to your grandma's house. She's got doilies on the back of every chair. Doilies on the table. <laughs> doilies on the back of the commode. You guys remember those days? <laughs> doilies everywhere. I never been tempted to steal a doily. I've been tempted to steal pocket knives. 
When I was a kid one time, I went to a preacher's house, and we were playing baseball with this preacher's family, and the preacher's son, the other preacher's son, stole my baseball glove. We're ratting around. I was like, where's my glove? We're looking around for it. I don't know, man. I don't know. And God's looking around for it, and, and his dad knew that what, knew what he would steal. And his dad said to me, he said, you better go look in his bedroom. I said, surely not. Why would I? I couldn't, I couldn't believe you lied right to my face. I mean, right in my eyes. And so I went up to his bedroom. I got down on my knee and looked under his bed, and there it was. I pulled that. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> you know, you're going to be tempted with all kinds of different stuff. You're going to be tempted to sin. Don't do the sin. Don't do the sin because it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you. It's going to hurt you. You say, well, I don't think it's hurting me right now. It will. It will. Now, look, look, go back to Thessalonians, and look at what, look what Paul says here. Verse 6. Control your passions that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. John Gill opines here, that it's very hard to sin and not injure others. It's very hard to sin and not injure others. So our, we have to think about this. It's not just about me. We're affecting other people. When you, when you throw a rock in a pond, it t- disrupts the whole place. Do not do this. Now, he gives this other warning here. He says, the Lord's an avenger in all these things. If you have the NIV, it says, I think, the Lord punishes. He's a punisher. How's the Lord punished us for our sins? Well, sometimes he lets us eat the consequences of our actions. Sometimes he just lets us swing. You got to learn the hard way. Got to let them fall. Got to hit the wall. Uh, turn, turn to Proverbs. I think this is a striking reading. I hope it's the same in the ESV. I'm not, I can't remember. Well, I guess we'll never know if it's the same because I can't find it. But it's, the, it's that verse. I think it, it seems like it's 2930 or 2830. One of you guys may know. Uh, it's that verse that talks about uh, uh, the blueness of the wound cleanses away evil. It's in the authorized version. As stripes on the inner parts of the belly so the blueness of the wound cleanses away evil. Is that, and, and the idea there is a, when you get bruised, your first thought is, I don't want to do that again. Right? The first winter we lived here, we've only lived here two, but it feels like 20. <laughs> but the first winter we lived here, I got out of my, I got, I got out of my car parked over here, and Jock, and Jock Tulk knows, because Jock fell at the same spot that I'm talking about this winter, slipped on the ice. I got out of my car. Was walking over there, unlocked the door, went outside to get, get my satchel out, my little book bag, and I slipped on the ice and busted my backside. And I thought, oh, 
I got to be more careful. I got up and I had to, had to go around the other side of the car. I got to the back of the car. Guess what? I fell four times in just two minutes. And when I got home in the evening time, I noticed <laughs> that I had a new coloring. <laughs> and I thought, man, I got to be more careful. Right? And that's what happens. You get hurt real bad. You want to be more careful about it. And sometimes the consequences of your actions are going to leave a mark. And you'll learn from it. You don't do it again. Right? Okay. Well... Let's look at the second point. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Listen to me about the sexual purity. It's the will of God. And then he talks about brotherly love in verses 9 to 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. And to work with your hands as we instructed you. Brotherly love. Paul says this is an intuitive thing. Is that God is teaching you to love. He says I don't have to write to you about this because it's something that's it's by nature. It's part of the new nature. You see, when you were born again, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you. And he gives to you the nature, the mind the tendency to follow God. You're born again. You're a new creature. And to love others is normal. That should be the normal expectation for those people who are Christians. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says that he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Love should be the hallmark of your Christian life. Love. Love one for another. It's, this is something that is natural for us. Jesus said in John 13, 34 through 35, that by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, and that ye have love one for another. Loving one another. Now, what is love exactly? You say, well, love means you want to be with somebody 24-7. Eh, I don't know. 24-7? You got to go fishing. <laughs> we got to get away from the loved ones sometime. <laughs> so what is love exactly? Well, luckily the Bible tells us. Let's turn to that 1 Corinthians 13 right quick. Love is patient, cheerful endurance. That's what love is. One of the sisters, and not, not, she's not a sister, I don't think, but the lady who lives in our neighborhood, uh, she's got a couple little kids, and, and um, they've been giving her fits lately. And I see her outside in the front yard losing her patience. <laughs> But that's, that's how it is, isn't it? If you love somebody, they're going to test your patience. They're going to test your patience. Your husband's going to do it. Your wife's going to do it. Your kid's going to do it. Your mom and dad are going to do it. They're going to test your patience. Love is patient. 
and is kind. He's sweet. Gently, gently, what's the word when you're uh, leaning, leaning a certain way? Inclined. Love does not envy or boast. It's not envious of what other people have, nor feel compelled to boast about it. I saw this little meme the other day. I think it's so accurate. Uh, at least in my, in my case it is. It said, your father is the only man in your life who will ever be truly happy that you did better than him, that you've done better than him. Fathers like to see their kids succeed. Mothers like to see their kids succeed. Makes them happy. Because that's what love is, right? Love is not arrogant or rude. You behave this way towards them. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hope all things, endures all things. There's not time to, to dig into all that. But just so you know, if you want to know what love is, this is what love is. This is what it looks like. And the only way you can love like this is through the, with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way you can do it. This is true love. This is the kind of love that we have from God, except it's much deeper, much deeper. Love. Paul says, you guys keep on loving each other over there because love makes everything different. Love makes things easier to put up with. Remember that story in the Old Testament where Jacob gets his, uh, gets his two wives, Leah and Rachel? You know, and old Laban does the old switcheroo on him. He says he agrees to work seven years for Rachel. Seven years. And then at, when, at, when he gets the seven years worked off, he goes to Laban and says, hey, he said, where's, my, where's my girl? And he says, ah, she's coming. You know, and he, I guess she must have had a veil on. <laughs> and <laughs> how he didn't know it was the wrong girl is a mystery to me. But the next day... <laughs> It's the wrong girl. It's Leah, the other sister. And he goes back, and he's upset. He wants a refund. <laughs> you said you'd give me Rachel, not Leah. And, and his father-in-law says, well, you know, we got this little custom. The oldest daughter's got to get married before the youngest daughter, and so seven more years for Rachel. And so he works seven more years to get Rachel. Fourteen years. She must have been something. 14 years. But the Bible says that it seemed like a few days because of the love that he had for her. Love makes everything different. Have you had a job you hate, anybody? Oh, man. You ever had a job you loved? Now, if you're at a job you hate, how long is that day? Very long. But if you love it, it's like you don't work at all, you know? It's, it's, love makes everything different. And Paul says, you guys keep on loving one another in the church there. This is a part of your Christian life to love. So I want to say this to you. If you don't love your fellow believers, uh, why is that? Why don't, why don't you love? Well, I guess the obvious answer could be what? 
If Christians are supposed to love, and he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love, and you have no love in your heart for other Christians, the obvious answer to why don't you love would be what? That you're not a Christian. No. And that's something only you know the answer to. Now, the second thing would be maybe, maybe something's happening to hurt this love. Maybe you have bitterness in your heart towards people, grudges towards people. Now, I've, I've, I've been a Christian a long time, and I've felt all kinds of ways about other Christians. I've loved them. I've been mad at them. I've begrudged them. I mean, I've felt a lot of different ways about Christians. And you, you have to work at keeping the love alive sometimes, sometimes harder than others. Work at it. Remember what 1 Corinthians 13 says. And, of course, you know, if, if, you're, if you're mad at somebody in the church, if you're really mad at them, you've got to go talk to them and say, look, I'm sorry for being mad at you, and try to work stuff out with them. You can't work out everything with everybody. That's what Matthew 18 is really about, in my opinion, and John Gill. Matthew 18. If there's a conflict between people in the church and they can't work it out, just stay away from each other. That's what it looks like to me. That's why churches have two sides. <laughs> so you can come in the door and go sit way over there, and they can sit way over there. You know, and, and at the marriage supper of the Lamb, you guys can make up. <laughs> it's very hard to get people to make up sometimes. Conflict resolution is very difficult. That's what Matthew 18 talks about. Love. Well, we come this far. What do you say we finish? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't hear a lot of amens, so, <laughs> so let's put an amen to it. But let me say this, this, this last little bit to you just as we leave out. Part of maintaining your love comes from verse 11 living, a, aspiring to live a quiet life, minding your own business, and working. Working will keep you busy. Working will keep you busy. Working in a church will keep you busy. But it will also pre- provide opportunities for difficulty, too, because in every church, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And that, and that's, that's a pretty, pretty solid maxim. Pretty solid. Well, all in favor of stopping right there, say amen. amen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us with our sins, Lord. Forgive us where we failed you, Lord. We were we but we could say we repent. But before we can say that, we have to really change our mind about it and recognize these behaviors as sinful. Lord, forgive us and help us. Help us to to view our sins as you view them, Lord, and turn away from them. Lord, I pray you help us to love one another. Infuse us with this love. And Lord, for the person who's here who is not a Christian, I pray, Lord, that they would come to know your love for them, that they would feel that special love, the love of a Savior, the love of a Redeemer, the love of being 
plucked from the dirt and set in the palace. I pray these things in Jesus' precious and glorious name. Amen.